Hashtag murder may contain explicit and disturbing material and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Hashtag Murder. Woo! Uh, once again, I don't know why I didn't join you on that. <laughs> Always. Uh, but I'm Scar. And I'm Alex. And we're millennials who love murder. And cats. And cats. Yeah, we were just discussing the, the adoption of a second cat. Yes. <laughs> Kendra says no, but I think we'll get her to grow on it. Yeah! Hey, she got the dog. She got the second dog. She got the naughty dog. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. (laughs) She's so cute. (laughs) You're lucky you're so damn cute, duck. I know. Pato? Pata. Oh, pata. Pata. That's (laughs) Spanish for duck. Uh, I love her. Oh, so (laughs) we've recorded like three episodes today. This is a lot. And I forgot... I forgot that I got you a souvenir. You got me a souvenir? I did. From where? Um, are they? Yep, they're both from Utah. Because there was literally nothing in Nevada, and we didn't really go shopping in Kentucky or Tennessee. Interesting. Strangely enough. Strangely for Harley. I know. Um, but, hold on. It's in this bag. It's not wrapped or anything. Oh, it's fine. It's kind of wrapped. Oh, it's kind of wrapped. Let's see what we got here. Ooh, that's a tote. Oh, I love this. <laughs> All wives matter. All wives matter. All wives matter. <laughs> Love me some Mormons. Yeah. Ooh, and we got a shirt. Oh, fuck. Porcupine. <laughs> it's from the Porcupine. Porcupine it's Pub and Grill. City. Porcupine Pub and Grill. I know. Oh, I love it. <laughs> shout out to the Porcupine. Porcupine. Uh, Ooh. Shout out to my new reusable bag. I know. It's got All little wives It's got matter. little ladies on oh. it. Whitney's gonna love this. I figured. I was like, if Alex doesn't use it, I'm sure Whitney will. Oh, I'm gonna use it. She yells at me all the time for not uh, putting reusable bags in my car because I do all the grocery shopping, uh, or typically most of it. Yeah. And I never have them in the car, and she calls me a bad person. Oh, well, perfect. Yeah. That'll work out now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I saw that uh, saw that bag. I knew I had to get it for you. And the shirt. I also have that same shirt, so we're gonna be yes. twinning at some point. Yeah. I'm Just sure. like our um our recycle cunt shirts. <laughs> yeah, I wore that yesterday. I wore that <laughs> day before yesterday. I think. Oh, oh, we were day off. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So since we've recorded like fucking four episodes today, we're gonna get <sighs> right into this. Let's do it. <laughs> we're out of stories for you. Yeah, we gotta we gotta keep up the pace here. So to kick off Father's Day month, felonious fathers. Yes, we're gonna cover some felonious fathers. Those. Yes, you guys will get a awful father every Thursday yeah. in the month of June. In one week, you'll get four days of bad daddies. <laughs> yeah, bad daddies. Bad daddies. <laughs> yeah, that's Dustin's favorite restaurant. Oh, the burger bar? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very good. You've been there. Mm-hmm. Did we go? Yeah, we went together. Yeah, it's very good. I like their salads because you can get a hamburger on the salad. It's delicious. It's great. Yeah. Oh, man. But today, I'm going to tell Alex the story of Carl Carlson. His parents did not love him. <laughs> Uh, both spelled with a K. Did not love him. You know, yeah. So uh, they were like, what fact, kind of a name? I have a friend, Caleb, who spells his name with a K. Ah. And he has a cat named Gary. So I call him <laughs> Cat Daddy with a K. <laughs> Gary. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, his cat named Gary. Uh, Gary always reminds me of, have you seen that little, um, I said we were going to jump right into yeah. it. Clearly we're not. Um, yeah. Have you seen that little YouTube video of, it's called Living with Jigsaw? No. And it's like the little saw guy on the little bicycle with the, the clown guy. No. From Saw. <laughs> and oh, saw, yeah. <laughs> he's real small and he lives with a guy named Gary and he's like his roommate mm-hmm. and he like sets up all these little things for him to do like <laughs> and one he puts little razor blades all over the bathroom floor <laughs> And then in one of them, he feeds his car keys to his cat, and he's like, "Will you cut up the, <laughs> will you cut up in the stomach of your best friend in order to get to work, or will you be late for the fifth time this week?" What? <laughs> it's like a comedy. It's really funny. Uh, I'll have to send it to you. Okay, it's a good one. Oh man. Okay, but anyways, Carl Carlson. So it's 2008, and we're in Varick, New York, uh, which is about four hours and 45 minutes away from Old Stacy. I didn't know that New York was that large. Oh, it's huge. I used to. So my sister Abby used to go to the University of Buffalo, yeah, which is hours away from like New York City. Wow. Yeah, she's closer to Canada than yeah. she is to New York City. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I had cool. no idea that it was that big. But anyway, Varick is a small little town. It's very rural. 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 <laughs> We're always in small towns. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, and it's right in the Finger Lake section region of the state, situated between Seneca and Cayuga Lake. And this is where Carl Carlson is from. Okay. Oh, nope. That's where his farm is. Oh, his farm. Okay. <laughs> he is from New York, just not here specifically. And at this point in time, Carl is the father of four children. But we're going to focus on the first three. Why not the fourth? Uh, he'll come into the picture a little bit later on. Okay. Yeah. And there's not really, he wasn't really in the story all that much. Okay. So the first three kids, he had Aaron, which is girl Aaron, Levi, and Katie. And all of these kids are from his first marriage to a woman named Christina. Okay. So Katie, the youngest daughter, recalls that whenever things were good with her father, they were really good and they had a lot of great times on the farm. But Levi, on the other hand, kind of clashed with his father and Levi was into the devil's music aka heavy metal oh yeah he was kind of a rocker and he's into that whole punk scene okay. um and they showed a picture of him and he had on janko jeans <laughs> which is not a cute look it's not good um and levi had actually moved out of the family home at the age of 16 aaron the oldest daughter recounts how levi and carl just never really got along and how he left home at a young age to live with his girlfriend cassie and levi and cassie actually got married right out of high school and then they had a baby daughter about six weeks after their marriage Aww. Yeah. And Cassie and Levi eventually had another daughter together, but they broke up shortly afterward. Aw, young love. I know, but they were still on good terms and everything. Like, they got along really well. So it wasn't a super bad ending. They just weren't together anymore. Okay. Because they, I mean, they started at 16. Yeah, they're babies. Yeah. And Cassie states that Levi was a great dad and had learned from his own father how to not treat his children. Good job. Yes. Um, And their daughter's names are Electra and I. Ivy. Oh, that's a great name, Electra. I love those names. Those are so great. Okay, so Carl owns this farm and he works a factory job. In the farm, it's not a money farm, it's a hobby farm, which is fun. Okay. And Carl loves the farm and Carl raised Belgian draft horses. What? <laughs> They're huge. They're massive. They're almost 2,000 pounds and they cost a pretty penny at about 10,000 dollars each that is what my, like whitney's car is worth now <laughs> no yeah 
Uh, and Carl's daughter, Katie, recounts that they always had between 25 and 30 horses at a time. So, with Levi and Carl's father-son relationship on the rocks, they don't see each other all that often. Just a few times a year. But on November 20th, 2008, Carl calls Levi and asks him if he can come over and help fix up an old farm truck that he has. Oh, that's kind of cool. A little project. Yeah. And so Levi, being the super helpful and mechanically inclined man he is, says yes, and Carl even offers to pay him 50 bucks. So Levi goes to the house, the truck is already jacked up, and he gets to work. And while Levi works on the truck, Carl and wife number two, Miss Cindy, are headed to a funeral. Uh, okay. So Carl and Cindy leave around noon, but before they head out, while Cindy waits in the car, Carl shows Levi what needs to be done to the car. Something like brakes related, I don't really know. And then they leave to go to the funeral service, as well as the reception? I don't... Do you call that a reception? No, it's called something else. It's not a reception. That's a wedding thing. Is it like a... I don't know what it's called. But anyway, there's like an after... An after service. Party? Not <laughs> a party. Oh my God. You know... You know what I mean. So Carl and Cindy arrive back at the farm around 3.50 p.m. They both go into the barn where 23-year-old Levi has been working on the truck. And they find Levi pinned underneath the truck. Is he alive? Uh, well... So Cindy calls 911 while Carl tries to get this truck off of his son. And Cindy tells the dispatcher that she needs an ambulance, but she does not think that Levi's alive anymore because his chest was crushed by this massive truck. And apparently the jack had slipped and the jack was not the correct one to be using for a truck this size because it's like an F-350. Oh, it's a big truck. Yeah. And I guess they were using this little tiny jack. I don't know. So this caused the truck to fall on Levi and everyone in the family is completely shocked. Yeah, and he has two babies yeah. like, that he's supposed to take care of. Yeah. And he's very good with cars and machinery. You would think he would have noticed that the jack, was, the jack was too small. Exactly. Yeah. So it's so crazy. But Levi is not the first family member to die in a tragic accident in the Carlson family. What? Yeah. <laughs> Is he like some uh, giggling granny stuff? <laughs> It's it. We're going to get there. It's crazy. Uh, okay. So Katie, Carl's youngest daughter, recounts that their whole lives have been filled with tragic accidents. Accidents that went back for decades, which we're going to get to right now. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1982, Carl Carlson is a cadet in the Air Force. And Carl is stationed in North Dakota, and he works with nuclear missiles. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> Which is so weird. Like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It sounds very, uh, I don't know, secret mission-y. <laughs> Area 51. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Carl meets his first wife, Christina. But when they first meet, Christina was already married to someone Carl worked with. <laughs> um, not a good look. <laughs> yeah, she's already married. Uh, so despite the whole already being married thing, Carl sweeps Christina off her feet and they get married. Okay. And in 1986, they have their first daughter, Erin. And apparently this whole relationship was totally unknown to Carl's family. Like they didn't even know about the marriage until they had Erin in 1986, which was four years later. They didn't like... <laughs> he didn't tell his family. He didn't, didn't tell his family about his wife? <laughs> they got married and then he, he waited a little bit to tell them they had a kid together. So weird. But when the family meets Christina, they love her and... 
and they think they're really great together. And they said that Christina could really light up a room. Uh, that's <laughs> never something. That's the thing that you hear on every true crime documentary is that the victim light up a room. I or know. Light up a room. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think anyone would say that about me. No. I don't light up rooms. Like she, uh... She fell down a lot. Yeah. I didn't light up a room, though. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Carl and Christina, they have these three young children, and they've moved back to New York, uh, where his family is. And Carl gets a job working at a stone quarry. But the money is tight. They're just trying to make ends meet. So, Christina tells her parents that they're struggling financially, and this prompts her father to offer Carl a job at his sheet metal company out in California. Okay. Which is where both of Christina's parents live. Her parents are no longer together, but they live about an hour and a half away from each other. Oh, so pretty close. Yeah. They needed, like, help with exactly. the kids or whatever. Yeah. So, Carl and Christina pack up the three kids, and they move out to Murphy's, California, which sounds like a very small town. Didn't look it up, but it sounds tiny. So, Christina's father had a rental house that the Carlsons were staying in, and he let them stay there for free. Oh. So, he gave them a job and free housing. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But, Carl was too proud to accept a free home. So he finds a cabin, which is basically a shack in the middle of the woods, and he moves him and his wife and three kids there. Why wouldn't you just pay your father-in-law rent for the house that he offered for you guys to stay in? Yeah, which was in the city. Like, yeah. just pay him. Yeah. Like, even if he did offer for you to stay there for free, just, just be like, I'll give you 500 bucks a month. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. So, but apparently this cabin shack thing was super rough. It was very run down and kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it had a very long driveway that wound across the mountain to seem safe no with three kids yeah no i don't think so but despite all of this christina was super happy to be back in california which who wouldn't be Mm -hmm. going from new york to california yeah yeah she's near her family again and now she's got her own family which is cool and now she's back in the place where she grew up and she was ready to make those same great memories she had from living there with her own children yeah that's understandable so we're in 1988 and it's becoming clear to christina's family that her and carl's marriage ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Carl was very controlling and he used to tell Christina that she was fat, which is rude. rude. Yeah. And Christina had these self-confidence issues with that anyway, so he was definitely just being a dick about it. Yeah, just being a total asshole about it. And also, Carl did not allow Christina to hang out with her family unless he was there too. Because he's controlling. Yes. So like, she wasn't allowed to go shopping or out to lunch or even spend holidays with her own family. Despite like they moved there to be too close to her family so he could take a job yeah for his father-in-law exactly yeah super super strange and like you said controlling behavior and christina's sister colette she also lives there she recounts that one year for christina's birthday she'd gotten her a glamour shot photo shoot session like the ones at walmart <laughs> yeah. or like jc penny yeah. <laughs> yeah and that when she and her sister got back home from the glamour shots carl saw her with her hair and makeup done and Carl told her that she looked like a whore and she needed to take her makeup off immediately. Excuse me? (sighs) Which... (laughs) I'm sure she looked great. Those yeah. glamour shots, they do make you look kind of ridiculous. But uh, you look You great. don't need to call her a whore, though. Yeah, he was just, he was not a good, not a good man. 
And also, this is whenever Colette knows that Carl's a piece of shit. So, the cabin. Remember, it has this super long, windy driveway, and it's on a, literally the so side of a mountain. mountain. Yeah. Well, the Carlsons only had one car. So, if Carl was out for the day working or doing whatever, whatever he does, Christina was literally stuck at home with the kids unless someone came to pick them up. There's no walking anywhere. It doesn't seem safe either. Like, what if one of the kids gets sick or they break a bone or something exactly. like you can't get them to the emergency room? Yeah. So, uh, Carl isn't just emotionally abusive to Christina. He's also being physically abusive, of course. He'd shove her and knock her down. It just, it wasn't a good situation. And Christina had told her sister Colette all of this stuff that he's been doing. And Colette urged her sister to get out of the marriage. As a good sister would. Yeah. But Christina said she didn't want to get divorced for a second time and was concerned about her three children. And she felt as if it would be better to just stay. She's just sad because the children shouldn't be in that situation either. Yeah. You should... She's probably afraid that he's going to try and take the kids from her. That's true because he's the one making the money. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, get divorced 10 times. And your dad, like, what? It sounds like it doesn't matter. is well off too. So just go move in with your parents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I don't know. It's okay to get divorced, everyone. Just do it if you're if you're feeling some type no, of way. No, it's tough when you have kids, but you know. Yeah. Okay. So now it's Christmas time, 1990, and Carl and Christina and the kids are going to her mother's home, which is about an hour and a half away from Murphy's. Also... <laughs> So I watched a documentary on this and Christina's mother is one of the talking head people Mm -hmm. and she's very cute and she's very sweet and I love her. And she's wearing this purple t-shirt, which is under a purple button down. It's a lot of purple. And they're both the exact same shade of purple. And her shirt has a giant hedgehog on it. And she also had a gold chain on. And she's like 70. Oh my God. (laughs) I I love Mama Christina. Oh, such a look. And I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, so Christina's mother goes on to say that something just doesn't seem right between her daughter and Carl, the relationship between them. Okay. And she didn't know what it was, but there was a lot of tension. And this is actually the last time that Christina's mother would ever see her on Christmas. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. So fast forward just a little bit to New Year's Day of 1991, and the Carlson family is back at the cabin. Carl rounds up his three children and takes them outside, and Carl has put the Christmas tree in the driveway and wants the kids to watch as he burns it... Which is weird. It's interesting. Yeah. And Carl says something along the lines of, I want to burn the tree to see how fast it'll burn so I know how fast a whole house would burn down. That's not the same thing. Yeah. And Erin is actually the one who recounts this, her old, or their oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was like six at the time. And she remembers her father saying this about wanting to burn the Christmas tree. That's just weird. Like, why would you say that? It's... And why would you make your kids watch? It's just odd. Yeah, so I don't know. So the kids go back inside to take their midday naps. Aaron and Katie share a room and Levi is in another. So Aaron wakes up to hear her mother, Christina, screaming. And Aaron peers out of the bedroom to see that the cabin is now on fire. Oh, that's not good. It's going to take EMS and fire to get a while to get there too. Exactly. So Aaron wakes up her younger sister, Katie, and they both run for the bedroom window. But where the window 
was once easily accessible, it's now been blocked by a huge dresser. Suspicious. Yeah, conveniently. And this dresser, up until they'd gone to take that nap, was usually placed in the closet. And the girls are six and four. They're not moving this huge antique dresser. So now the girls start screaming, and Carl actually breaks the window, shoves the dresser out of the way, and saves his two daughters from the burning cabin. Carl also finds Levi and brings him outside as well. So, Christina is the only one left in the house at this time, and she had been taking a bath whenever the fire broke out. So, Christina is now trapped in the bathroom, and the house is fully engulfed in flames. And she couldn't escape out of the window because the window had been boarded shut because the glass had broken a few months prior, so Carl put plywood over it. So, Christina... Carl's wife and the mother of their three children very sadly passed away from smoke inhalation in this house fire. I feel like this fire was not an accident. Yeah, uh, it was not. And I don't think that window breaking was an accident either. No, he probably broke that in anger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So Colette, Christina's sister, learns of this horrible tragedy that's just taken place and goes to her mother's home to break the news. And everyone is just completely heartbroken and devastated. And it's it's so sad. She's got these three, three babies and she lives right there with her family. And yeah. So Carl and the children are actually already at the mom's house whenever Colette shows up. And... <laughs> This next part got me real fired up. Yeah, like gave me like the angry chills. So Colette says she wants to go see her sister, her remains at the house. Yeah. And Carl says that she can't. And Colette says, why? And Carl says, quote, because she's a crispy critter. Who says that about their deceased wife? (laughs) I don't know. Isn't that so weird? That's just strange. Like, why the fuck would he say that? You're a crispy critter. It's your wife. And the mother of your children. I don't understand. So not only was this a cruel and just straight up bizarre thing to say, it was actually untrue because the fire never even made it to the bathroom. Christina literally died of smoke inhalation, not from burning in a fire. But because it was just around her. Yes. So if Carl would have just broken down the plywood from the window, Christina would have lived. And fire investigators also learned that the fire was started right outside of the bathroom where there was a trail of kerosene. Now, this sounds super suspicious, but they actually used a kerosene heater to heat the house. Okay, so it's not as suspicious as it sounds on paper. Yes, so kerosene had been spilled. I mean, they got three kids. They got, I think they have a couple dogs. Mm -hmm. Like, there's kerosene kind of being spilled everywhere. Yeah. So whenever the kerosene would spill, whenever it happened, Christina would lay out blankets to kind of soak it up. Okay. So, investigators roll the fire an accident, and Carl gets a check for $215,000 from life insurance he had on Christina. And this is in 1991, so that money would have been almost $477,000 in today's money. So almost half a million dollars. Yes. Which is a lot of money. That's nice for someone that was struggling uh, paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. Oh, boy. So, the funeral service for Christina was held by like four or five days later. And the next day after the funeral, Carl packs up the kids and they all get on a plane and they go back to New York. Like (laughs) didn't tell Christina's family that they were leaving. They just up and left. They just up and left. And her dad and mom and sister didn't even get to say goodbye to the kids. That's just sad. I know. And they're like, the kids are the one remaining piece of Christina and they didn't get to say goodbye. That's really sad. 
I know. So, two weeks pass, and the investigators still want to speak with Carl about the house fire and the death of his wife. But, due to budget limitations, they were unable to fly to New York, and Carl was not going back to California. So that's it. Case closed. What? <laughs> that's it. There, there was no further nothing. That was... It's, isn't that crazy? That, They're like, well, I guess he's halfway across the country. He's gone now. We won't try to fix this. Nope. So, case closed. And Colette, Christina's sister, just simply states that she knew deep down that Carl had murdered her sister and he did it for the insurance money and that he got away with it. Which is so sad. Like, she knew all along. Colette, Colette's a badass. Although her entire family probably knew all along. But he sure did. He sure got away with it. So, it's 1992, and Carl's back in New York with his children, and he uses that insurance money to buy the farm so he can raise his goddamn Belgian draft horses. And he quickly gets remarried to wife number two, named Cindy Best. So, with Christina gone, Carl needs someone to take his frustration out on. And this is super sad. This is whenever he starts beating his children. Oh, you fucking asshole. Yeah, so he'd beat his daughter Erin, <clears throat> in her room and he would beat his son Levi in the barn and Aaron recounts that Carl would beat Levi with literally anything within his reach pipes shovels pitchforks cattle prods anything that he could find out in the barn which I just I just don't understand uh parents beating their children uh no especially with stuff that you would use to like beat an intruder with yeah I just don't get it and Carl would also tell Aaron that she was also fat um which I I get that I was also called fat my entire life growing up so I you look up a picture of this man I understand oh we're gonna get there this was literally my next sentence also Carl himself is fat so like what are we talking about here okay so why are you <laughs> telling your wife that she's fat when you're fat yourself yeah and his daughter he's not a skinny dude no he's kind of chunky yeah so uh, so annoying and he would also tell Aaron that her mother would not be proud of who she was as a person Aaron's like 12 why are you telling her stuff like this like that's not being a supporting dad i know uh so katie the youngest daughter recounts that she didn't get too much of the physical abuse more so a lot of like grabbing and shoving but not necessarily hitting and that with all of the kids carl was very careful not to hit them in the face or where bruises would be visible whenever they were out in public because he's smart yeah he yeah he knew what he was doing unfortunately and the kids believe that carl was beating them because they knew that carl had purposely purposefully purposely purposely okay set fire to the house to kill their mother so like he was beating the hell out of them so they'd keep their mouths shut yeah he's like this basically is, like i'll do worse to you if you tell anybody yeah but whenever aaron and levi are teenagers they confront their father about the fire and carl's response was basically well what would the community think if they knew that you thought that i killed your mother what would everybody else think you you they think that you're a murderer like your own kids yeah think you're a killer so basically Basically, Carl liked his reputation and he didn't want anything to get in the way of that. Fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward a little bit to the summer of 2002, whenever tragedy strikes yet again at the Carlson household. This time, the barn is on fire. <sighs> I bet and there's a fat insurance policy on those Belgian uh, horses because yeah, they're so expensive. Yeah, there might have been. 
So three of the Belgian draft horses sadly die in the fire and the barn is completely destroyed. But Carl isn't super sad about this yet again because he's getting another life insurance policy payout. And Carl had just, and I mean like just upped the insurance on this barn. So he didn't wait very long. No, he upped it maybe three days prior. That's a little suspicious. Yeah, so Carl gets a $100,000 payout for the barn and the horses, which would be about $168,000 in today's money. And this didn't raise any kind of suspicion? like Sure didn't. (laughs) It sure didn't. Like, the insurance companies were just like, well, I don't know. I guess it just burned down. Like, there was no investigation. Weird. I know. So at this point, Katie is the only child living in the home with the younger half-brother, which is the fourth child. Okay. And Carl and Cindy. And Aaron has graduated, thank God, and she got out of the house, and Levi moved out to go live with his girlfriend. And Aaron actually joined the Air Force. Like, get it. Yeah, get it, girl. So, going back to a little before the tragedy with Levi. Shortly before Levi's death, his father, Carl, stated that he wanted to do a huge favor for Levi and Cassie. And Carl offered to buy life insurance for Levi. You know, just in case something happened to him. So that Cassie and the two daughters would be taken care of. So Carl buys this policy all at once. He pays cash up front for this life insurance policy. That's weird. And the policy is for $700,000. Um, so $700,000? Since it's a favor for Cassie, I'm sure that he is not the beneficiary and it's Cassie. <laughs> That's an insane policy. Now, that shouldn't be allowed. But this was in 2010. But guess who the beneficiary was? Let me guess. It's Carl. It is. It was not Cassie. It was fucking Carl. And that amount of money would just was just shy of a million dollars in today's money. It's so crazy. And Carl got this life insurance policy 17 days before the truck accident, aka him murdering his own son. You murdered your own son for money. Yep. $700,000. And this is so crazy. So the day before Levi died by being crushed by the truck, right before he went to work, or right before he went to go work on the truck, Carl made Levi write up a will, leaving everything to Carl. Levi, you didn't think this was suspicious? (sighs) Maybe maybe he thought his dad was making amends? Maybe, or like trying to help him for like a future... Something? uh, He's invested in the future. I don't fucking know. So I'm not really sure why Levi did this, but they went and got it notarized. And Aaron, his sister, thinks it's because Levi really wanted to repair the relationship with Carl. Eh, forced, maybe he forced him to write it. Yeah, that could be it. Because within this whole thing happening, he would be dead within an hour. It's it's so crazy. And no one in the family knows anything about this life insurance policy or the will. No one knows about it. Yeah, that's suspicious, Carl. Yeah. And Colette, Christina's sister, recalls that she'd called her parents to let them know what happened to Levi. And she told them, I don't know what Carl stands to gain from this, but I know he did it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Colette. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my God. So Carl gets that life insurance payout for $700,000 and he's spending it real quick. He buys two new trucks, all kinds of new tractors, new trailers, and a lot of 
ducks. Ducks? <laughs> he bought like thousands of ducks. He was going to turn his farm into a duck farm, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's too many ducks. Uh, but his plan was to raise them and sell them. Oh, his plan was to raise them and sell them to restaurants in around New York City. I don't know. So four years has passed after Levi's death. Carl's just living the good life with his goddamn horses and his I'm sure fucking his grandchildren ducks. did not get any of this $700,000 payout either. They sure didn't. So it's been four years. <laughs> four years. Uh, but in 2012, married life to Cindy isn't all it's cracked up to be. That's wife number two. And they get divorced. Surprise, he didn't just kill her. Yeah, he's killed everybody <laughs> else that he didn't want. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, in the middle of this divorce, there's a lot going on. And it's not uh, super friendly. So the police department in Varick gets a phone call from Cindy's cousin who lives in Kentucky. The Tuck. And this cousin asks authorities if they've looked into the death of Levi Carlson. And this investigator the cousin is speaking with is named John Clear. <laughs> Not dear. <laughs> Not dear. John Clear. So this cousin from Kentucky tells Sheriff Clear that Cindy thinks that Carl killed her son. And that his first wife died in that suspicious house fire back in 1991. And then about the barn burning down back in 2002... It's like everything happens every 10 De years. Yeah, every decade. He's like, I'm feeling like murdering. <laughs> yeah, there's some sort of tragedy. Uh, so Sheriff Clear looks into this and sees that all these stories check out. So he calls Cindy to get more information and she tells Sheriff Clear that she is so glad that he is called because she's afraid that she's going to be next. Which, understandably so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she explains that they're getting divorced and everything that's been going on and all this other stuff. Okay. So what do investigators do? They get Cindy to wear a wire. Ooh, I love a wire <laughs> They wire her up. Uh, and Cindy agrees to call up old Carl. And then they agree to meet at a restaurant under the guise that Cindy wants to work things out and stop this whole divorce process. And they picked this very specific restaurant that didn't have any, like, closed-off booths. So it was very open, and it was very easy to hear every other table's conversation. Oh, which I thought was really smart. cool. It's very smart. Yeah. And I was getting... <laughs> I was getting, like, so, like, nervous watching this. I was like, he's going to spill the beans. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Cindy's going to get the info. Ah, they're about to nail him. So they place some undercover agents in the restaurant. Cindy's got the wire on. They're going to get him. They start chatting, and Carl never openly admits to anything, but he does say some disturbing things. So here's a little snippet of this conversation. Cindy says, it's not that I want to know because I already know. And Carl said, you know, you know something, but you don't know. No, you don't. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then Cindy said, I probably don't know all of it. I just want to hear it from you. And then Carl says, I took advantage of an opportunity. Well, uh, <laughs> killing your wife, first wife, and then killing your, your son is not taking advantage of an opportunity. I know. That's murder, sir. It's so crazy. Who talks about their killing their loved ones like this? Ah, oh, I can't. So, shortly after this, investigator Jeff Arnold and Sheriff Clear bring Carl Carlson in for questioning. And they question Carl for nine and a half hours straight. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of hours. Uh, and by the end of it, they were all sitting so close together in like this little tiny triangle. 
they were like sitting they're like we're gonna nail you yeah they're sitting like a foot apart and carl's backs against the wall and they're just like literally and figuratively closing in on him and carl finally cracks well he kind of cracks he does admit that he killed levi but that it was an accident and that levi was under the truck and carl had gotten in on the driver's side and the jack just gave way crushing his son bullshit yeah and then he walked away <laughs> see he's sun died and he just walked away he didn't call 911 yeah put the truck up yeah Where so which is murder of the second degree oh and at one point jeff says to carl you killed your son and got seven hundred thousand dollars and carl kind of chuckles and says whoopee like that wasn't a substantial amount of money <laughs> what whoopee what like you he's killed your son for money i know god okay so, in 2012, Carl is arrested for the murder of his son and insurance fraud. And he's, at this point, he's inexplicably using a walker. Like, he's a walker to get around now. But he was fine. He was totally fine. And now he needs a walker? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought that was weird. So, Aaron and Katie recount that they could not believe that Carl finally got arrested because they never thought they'd see the day. So, they're super happy about everything that's going on and they had no idea about this $700,000 life insurance policy. And this whole time, Cassie and Levi's two daughters are out there just struggling and Carl's just living it up with his new trucks and farm equipment and his ducks and his horses. And all this money was supposedly to be for Cassie to take care of the girls. Yeah, like what a dirtbag. I, I don't understand. Oh, also, also in this documentary, Cassie's wearing these great silver skeleton dangle earrings. They're super cute. They're like this long. They're little skeletons and they're great. And she's great. I love them. All right. So while Cassie is at the courthouse for the trial, Sheriff Clear pulls her aside and asks if she knew about the life insurance policies that Carl had taken out on Electra or Ivy. Um, uh, <laughs> what? No. Like, why would she know? I don't understand. And why would you take them out on your grandchildren? Yeah, exactly. Nanny Doss all over again. Um, and each of these policies were both for a little over $350,000. So once again, seven hundred k. Yes. He took out two life insurance policies on his grandchildren. And the girls were four and six. Who needs that kind of insurance on a four and six-year-old? They're babies. Yeah. So in November of 2013, about a year after Carl's arrest, 53-year-old Carl Carlson finally pleads guilty to the second-degree murder of his son, Levi. And as part of this plea deal, all the insurance fraud charges are dropped. Also, there's a very annoying photo of him that they keep showing. <laughs> we'll put it up on the Insta, but he just has this like annoying grin on his face and he's still using that walker. And I just, I hate him so much. Uh, but yeah, he's got a very punchable face. I hope somebody pushes you down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the judge, Judge Dennis Bender, told Carl, quote, you're not fully human. You belong in prison, and I suggest you belong there until you die. End quote. Good. Get it, Judge Dennis. <laughs> so Carl Carlson is sentenced to 15 years to life, which is not enough time. He could only serve 15 years for killing his own son. Yeah. And probably going to kill his granddaughters. Exactly. Yeah. But we're, we're going to get there. One moment. It doesn't end here. In 2016, investigators back in California reopened Christina's case, which was back in 1991. But there was really no physical evidence of foul play from the fire, but one of the investigators still had all of his case files. And remember, there was that old kerosene spill, like in the hallway. Mm -hmm. There was also evidence of freshly spilled kerosene all throughout the house. 
like in front of the bathroom, in front of the girls' rooms, in front of Levi's rooms, and that piece of plywood that was over the bathroom window, it had been nailed in with 17 nails, only three of which went through the like the actual wood, so the rest went in through the sheetrock and it had been nailed from the inside out. So that could have easily been pushed in by someone from the outside. The outside of the bathroom pushing it in, yeah. Yes. It would not have taken much force at all. It's not like it was real stuck in there. So, in February of 2020, everyone finally gets justice for Christina, and Carl Carlson was found guilty of first-degree murder by arson, and Carl was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Bye. I, I'm, I wonder if the Cassie and the girls like sued him for the money they should have gotten for like wrong like a wrongful death suit um i think they did but i don't think they got anything from it or no hold on oh here hold on we'll get there oh and in that will that carl made levi write up i don't know if he made him write it up or if he just wrote it levi did state that the money should be left to carl but that carl should distribute the money to his two daughters accordingly or as he saw fit yeah he was just trusting his dad to take care of his yeah. Kids. So, like, Levi never intended for his father to just take all of that money. That Yeah. And Carl had put all of the money he didn't spend in all of these annuities. I don't know what those are, but basically the family has never seen a dime from any of those insurance policies. Not shocking. And that's that on that. And so Aaron and Katie and Cassie are still working on finding all that money. Yeah. Wherever the hell to, it went. Yeah, they're going to have to file a wrongful death suit and sue the shit out of him. Yeah. So that's, that's that on that. Dad mm-hmm. of the year, Carl Carlson. Granddad of the year. He was about to kill his grandkids. He sure fucking was. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, that one was crazy. Um, I don't know where I, I don't know where I watched that. Something on ID maybe, but it was wild. That is insane. And it just kept going and going. I and I was like, <laughs> decades without getting caught. Yeah. 30 years basically. And then four years after Levi died, he was still free. It was crazy. Um, but anyways, to lighten our mood, I've got some fun facts for you. Remember what kind of farm he had? Or no, remember the animal he had on the farm? Oh, the, the fancy horses. Yes, not ducks. Not the ducks. <laughs> Duck fun facts. <laughs> uh, but there are Belgian draft horses. So I'm going to give you some Belgian draft horse fun facts. So the Belgian draft horse is a gentle giant owned by many farmers and equestrians. This powerful workhorse originates from Belgium, but Americans played an essential role in the breed's development. Today, the Belgian is the most popular draft horse in America. That's cute. Yeah. And the breed's adaptability and calm temperament make it an excellent addition to many farms, family barns, and riding stables. But the Belgian also requires special care because of its immense size, which they are... 2,000 pounds, right? (laughs) Yeah. The average draft horse size ranges between 1,800 and 2,000 pounds. <laughs> and some of, the stallions, yeah, some of the stallions can weigh as much as 2,400. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And they're about 72 inches tall. That's pretty tall. How many feet is that? <laughs> six feet? Uh, no. One moment. It's math. Uh, it's six feet. It is six feet. <laughs> You're right. Math. Uh, and our final fun fact, a Belgian horse named Big Jake holds the world record for tallest horse, and he stands over 20 hands tall. What's 20 hands? I guess that's how you measure horses. Is that how you measure horses? <laughs> I guess that's uh, like... I have I no know. idea. So maybe he's seven hands, feet tall? Hands horizontally or vertically? I guess horizontally. I guess so. Because like 20 hands? About eight inches? Eight yeah. t- <laughs> I don't know. 
I have no idea. Oh, that's a fun way of measurement, though. By hand. Interesting. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, this time I actually am going to go get Taco Bell. Taco Hell. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm ready for tacos. God, that was a lot of recording. Yeah, that was about four, four and a half hours. Yeah, four hours. <laughs> we got interrupted in every episode. Oh, but that's okay. Oh, we, and Dusty. We love them. Hey, Kendra. Clinton did not call. That's true. Yeah, and he respected your vacation time. Yes, he did. <laughs> Today. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Well, that's that was a lot of fun. Don't kill your family members for insurance money. Please don't. Although, $700,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of cash money. <laughs> And then he was going to do it again. Yeah, he sure was. Oh, man. God damn it. Um, well, oh, we have an Instagram. At hashtag murder pod. Spell it out. Yeah, give us a follow, comment on stuff. And if you like this, give us five stars. I don't see why all, not. Share with all your friends and family. Yeah, and your dogs. And your Belgian horses. <laughs> and your ducks. And your ducks. He had so many ducks. I mean, we have a duck. <laughs> she doesn't quack. Oh, the duck's duh. She's taking a nap, which isn't what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Well, thanks for hanging out. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Don't burn people to the ground. It's bad. <laughs> he didn't. Oh yeah, he, he did. His wife. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hashtag Murder. Episodes are written and edited by Alex Lewis and Scarlett Hipton. Our intro and outro music is written and played by Derek Branton. Our cover art is by the lovely Lauren Walker. And our name was created by the most wonderful, supportive, and super hot boyfriend, Dustin Branton. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can reach us at hashtag murderpod at gmail.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G murderpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell all of your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. Um, and Aaron actually joined the Air Force. Air Force. <laughs> Air Force. <laughs> so, uh, oh, shit. I think it's four years. So, f- Darl. Darls. <laughs> so, they're soupy. Soupy. To the secondary. God damn it. Like, no, hold on. Mammy. Mammy, mammy, mammy. Uh, okay. Is that a train? Mm-hmm. You live right next to a train. <laughs> Everyone finally gets justiced. Justiced. <laughs> I made it through this whole thing. Right at the very end, I'm fucking it up. Uh, um, but whenever the family mits... <laughs> mits. George, wake up. George, I'm snoring. Uh,